I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do unless there's new information that presents itself that's going to be a better path. And then what I owe you is transparency. I'm going to tell you why I can't proceed and what we can do differently. And I'm not going to leave you in a situation where you're worse off. So I'm going to figure out how to make you whole in some sense, shorter, long-term, but we're not just going to do something just because we said we're going to do it. You're listening to Inside the Den, a podcast about connection and the human behind the community in the world of Web3 with your hosts, Jake and Dwayne. All right, we're back for another episode here on Inside the Den. What's up, Dwayne? Man, that was a crazy interview with Dan Nicholson. Wow. <laughs> oh, I like after the interview, I ran inside um, and just told Aaron I well I told you before we were at press record I was like I was I'm a little nervous to talk with Dan you know and then I went I ran into the house and talked with Aaron I I said Aaron no the interview went awesome with Dan and she's like oh yeah remind me who Dan is I'm like well you know next to Nick he's like one of the most influential people of my life this last year like you know all the things and principles and and fundamentals and all that stuff that we've learned over this last year has came from you know his intellectual property like you know the certainty you the solvable problem the there's so many pieces today that we could have talked about but i think we did an excellent job of uh you know getting a different perspective from dan that maybe some of the listeners haven't heard yet yeah i think it's and that's a, that's a goal you know you and i were talking before we we really went on this interview especially with somebody like dan or nick or or if we ever get a chance, you know, hopefully we can get a chance to bring people like Randy Massengale or Jeff, Dr. Jeff Spencer, and some of these mm-hmm. people who have had uh, such a profound impact on our lives, but also just the things that we're learning in the Guardian Academy. You know, yep. a lot of these frameworks are coming from these individuals, and and um, they're 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 like mentors to us. And when you have the opportunity to speak with somebody who who has had an impact on you, you're naturally going to feel a little bit. Um, you know, it's the human, the human in us, right? We are like, yeah. wow, this is like, this is the person and we get a chance to really speak with them. And, and I, one thing I love about this interview that we have is with Dan is that I felt like we got to bring out some things, um, some perspectives from Dan that we haven't really heard before. Like you, you, you brought some good questions to the table about family mm-hmm. and, and just the personal side and and how some of these things can apply to that. And I thought that was really valuable for a lot of people who are listening because they're going to be able to, you know, you know, think about this, not only just, you know, just through different perspectives in their life. And, and um, you know, I think that's valuable. I think that's something that's really going to really people are going to be listening, thinking, wow, this is cool, you know, to get these different perspectives on how this whole thing works and the book that he's written and how all that anchors down. Definitely go check it out. It's on Kindle. It's I suggest getting the hard copy. Um, I refer to, you know, using it as a manual, almost in a reference guide. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, make sure you go uh, grab that book. It is well worth it. Yep. Rigging the game. And and I'll do just a quick like overview of Dan. I mean, he has such a extensive background and what he's done in business and just the achievements that, um, you know, I could sit here and, and speak for for quite a while, but to kind of really summarize you know, Dan, you know, in, into a little bit of an intro before we bring him on, you know, Dan has, he has extensive background in business. He owns a CPA firm um, and he's, you know, been in companies and finance and accounting um, technology. He's got the certainty you app 
and or the Certainty app and then Certainty University with the CCA program. You'll hear us reference CCA a lot, you know, with the certain uh, certified certainty advisors. And uh, and it's it's like a whole lot of things. There's a lot of things that he's really been involved in. And he's really been able to help so many people um, accomplishing that one thing of getting them closer to the things that they want and helping mm-hmm. them achieve life and doing it without compromise so they can play their own game. And I think that's one of the unique pieces to, to all this with Dan is that it's, it's not like following this checklist of how to play a game or how to do something. It's no, we're going to, we're going to work on how you play your game and how you can orient towards the things that mean most to you. So you can close that gap. And uh, you know, he's got, you know, like you just mentioned the rigging the game book, um, He's got the Rigging the Game podcast. The book just hit bestseller on Wall Street Journal and uh, what was it? US to the USA Today as well. So he's a best-selling author. Congratulations to Dan. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, he's got a lot of a lot of things that he's done. That's really done good good in the world and a lot of amazing achievements. So excited to bring him on. What do you say? We we go ahead and fire this up. Yeah, let's dive in. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks guys for having me on. Super excited to uh, chat with you today. Your influence that we that you've had on me and Jake personally over this last year is something that I can't overstate. Like it's just been amazing. And to like as soon as the book came out and started reading it, I was like, oh, there's one. Oh, I've embedded that one. Oh, there's another one. And it was just yeah, it's just been a it's been fun diving into your book and actually like having having it in paper form where I can go back and refer to it. Like if I didn't catch something in your, you know, we've seen you on video and doing uh, numerous things, but it's to have it in your hand and holding it is, is pretty sweet. Well, awesome. Well, thank you for saying that. That makes me uh, really happy. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It makes the uh, couple years of grinding on the book uh, worth it to hear that kind of reaction. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We'll, uh, we'll dive into, uh, you know, the whole process of how you rigged Amazon and rigged the game. Cause that it was, it was fun to watch, um, you know, get, get it up to the bestseller list and everything. But I know, you know, we got some questions kind of about some backstory and stuff. Do we, is that where we want to start Jake or what? Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to just, you know, obviously this is called inside the den and we're really showcasing the the partners and the members, here within the Wolfden community and Guardian Academy. And, um, you know, it's, I know you work a lot with Nick Peterson, and I'd love to just hear a little bit of your story as far as, um, you know, how you got into working with Nick and got, got involved in the Wolfden and and uh, maybe connect some dots for us. That would be great. Sure. All right. So it must, it's probably six or seven years ago now that Nick and I were both in a mastermind uh, called Client Kit by um, Taylor Welch and uh, Mike Evans, I think are their names, Traffic mm-hmm. and Funnels. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got kicked out of that group. <laughs> and uh, there's a whole story on that and uh, a whole you know disagreement between me and Taylor about uh, philosophies on uh, business and life. And uh, that, that's for a whole other... Uh, podcast episode or off the air uh, discussion over uh, cocktails. Yeah. And so uh, I had a bunch of uh, negative feelings about that for a while. And then in retrospect, looking back a year or two later, it was one of the best things that I did, not the actual program, but the people that I met, because Nick was one of those, one of those people. 
And uh, while I was in the group, I didn't have much interaction. And I thought he was really close with Taylor and anyone that I thought was uh, aligned with Taylor, I had kind of issue with because of, again, philosophical differences on business and life. And so for a couple years, I kept having people tell me, hey, you and Nick should really uh, chat. You guys are pretty similar. You really get along. And finally, after the, I don't know how many times, one person in particular who I really uh, trust said, I was like, okay, yeah, why don't make the introduction? That was about five years ago now. We chatted. I ended up joining uh, a program he used to have called the Network Mastermind. And maybe four or five months later, I flew down to, he was living in California at the time. I lived in Seattle. Flew down and uh, for a good two hours, I just asked him questions because I'm a professional skeptic is one of the <laughs> frames that I talk about in my book. It's like, mm-hmm. I need to, I want to like find it, figure out who this guy is and get the backstory and kind of ascertain whether or not I feel like his principles are aligned with Taylor's or he's sort of his own separate entity. And uh, as you might imagine, we sort of check the box on all of that. And that was kind of the jumping off point for us to then partner on some other, over time, some other businesses and what has now become, uh, I brought him in as a partner on Certainty You, brought him in later as a partner on the Certainty app. And now we have a bunch of different other ventures and things. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really interesting that they hear the story and, um, you know, when, when Dwayne and I first kind of got into the Wolf Den back in 2020 or December, 2021, uh, you know, Nick was going live and, and doing a lot of presentations and he would bring you up. And I think, I think there might've been actually a few calls where you came on as well, talking about building a business treasury. And, um, you know, we learned so much. And then we, uh, when we kind of found out about your book coming out, we started reading through, it's like, wow, this is like the Bible of everything that we've been learning over the past nine months. And it's, uh, it's just been so transformational. Um, you know, would you, I'd love, for, I'd love for you to kind of kick us off because we really do want to talk about the book and we want to talk about the principles. We have some questions for you there, but maybe set the table for us for a little bit here and just share rigging the game, like this book and wh- what you teach, like, how would you describe it? It is basically an operating system or way of thinking to get you what you want out of life on your terms or your timeline without compromise. Mm. And there's a couple of key words in, in there. Uh, what you want, so it's not what the rest of the world tells you that you have to have. And it's on your timeline. So you get to, you get to set the rules, but then maybe the most important is without compromise. And this is where I take exception to a lot of the the small business coaching and things that are out there Um, because it's my opinion that so much of that is telling people to become somebody else. And I believe that that's incredibly, um, incredibly bad advice um, because it's moving someone away from their unique strengths to focusing almost entirely on their weaknesses. And that's not to say we shouldn't address our weaknesses, but it moves you out of a position of strength into a position of weakness and creates a paradigm where you're now more likely to fail at living the life that you want. 
And so I think it's it's kind of dangerous to uh, constantly be kind of subversively telling someone that they need to to play someone else's game. Um, I know I can I won't speak for Jake, but I know we both kind of came into um, about two years ago. We kind of transitioned out of what we were doing and kind of entered into the internet marketing space. And sure. And right at that time, it was kind of like, you know, a little bit before COVID, but, and then COVID hit, of course, and, and the whole space was like, oh, it's time to pivot and it's time to do this. And what an opportunity for, mm. you know, the marketing space. And, and there was a influx of, of just programs and coaching and, and, in, and I can, I'm a personal example of being, getting caught playing somebody else's game like i i don't know how many charges are on my credit card from oh, like yeah. a course that i bought that was like oh i need this because this solves my problem but then it it wasn't even close like it was their problem that they had solved that here here's the solution and it just ended up you know moving me backwards so much and so there was like two years of that almost and then we found the wolf den and i can say honestly in this past year the leaps and bounds and moves forward towards playing my game has been exponential compared to the two years before that. It, it really has. Yeah. My, my observation, and thanks for sharing that. My observation is that many of us, first off, small business is a very lonely endeavor. Mm -hmm. A few guys have experienced that. It'd be very lonely because your family and friends maybe don't understand what you're up to or they perceive you as being different now. Like something's changed about you and they don't understand it. And so you're kind of on this hero's journey as a small business owner where you, where you, again, you can create this, this disconnect or chasm between you and, and your um, tribe of people beforehand. And uh, consequently or, re or related to that is that, in this sort of sense of loneliness and we're trying to prove it to everybody. Like I was right. I got to prove <laughs> it to all these people who are giving me what we'd call scrutiny and expectations. Yeah. Got to prove it to them. And that puts us in this position where we can be preyed upon mm. by other marketers, charlatans, coaches, et cetera, who are peddling this secret or this one step, couple of steps that are going to solve all your problems. And, uh, and because we're in this position of being so heavily scrutinized and maybe disconnected from our friends and family, lonely, or many entrepreneurs are just looking to be get rich overnight, mm -hmm. is that then we get sold this kind of get rich quick scheme that doesn't, some it, it works for some, but doesn't work for most. Yeah. And I, I would say like the ones that it worked for, you know, are would they be playing their game or did it just happen to work? <laughs> you know, that will they find in five years that, oh shit, I haven't been playing my game, <laughs> but. Well, yeah. And then part of it is defining what it actually uh, uh, is, uh, is working for them. So they may be now generating a bunch of revenue mm -hmm. and that looks mm -hmm. cool. It's a great vanity metric, but I can tell you from the, one of the benefits of having worked with uh sensibly thousands of business owners through a CPA firm that I own is that I see their financial statements. Yes, 
you have grown your revenue significantly, but you're making the same amount, right? or you have the same amount in your bank account because of all this overspending that you're doing to sort of scale this business, but you went from making 100,000 a year in revenue to 300,000 to a million to 3 million. And what you actually have in your bank account at the end of the day is the same. So you're just working a lot harder. One of the things I love about um, one of the statements you talk about is like, you got to stop watering the weeds Mm -hmm. or they'll say like, you got to take, you got to take your foot off the brake, you know, before you can really start moving forward. And this kind of makes me think of, you know, if you're not playing your game, you're essentially just watering the weeds. So, you know, working and, you know, looking at um, or working with all these individuals, business owners, people who are, essentially, you know, adding things to their life that isn't really serving them. It's not really their game. Um, what are some of the, like the commonalities that you see within these people in terms of like their behavior that's leading to these particular outcomes? That makes sense. It does. Yeah. My belief is that we are all biased and that it's part of our existence as a human. And there's a lot of neuroscience behind it. Of course, I'm not a neuroscientist, but there's a lot of uh, uh, neuroscience from like Dr. Andrew Huberman, who talks about dopamine and the molecule being the molecule of more. Mm-hmm. Daniel Kahneman talking about thinking fast and slow, this idea of system one versus system two. And system one is the fast part of our brain, but it's also subject to all these biases. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, of, of data points that suggest that because of our evolution that we're we're wired to be in pursuit of more as the answer to to everything. And when you think about it, it makes sense. If you're a hunter gatherer, you're out there. Uh, anytime you see an opportunity to get some food, like you got to take that opportunity. Uh, you don't know when it's going to happen next. So it makes sense that we would evolve to um, to have that kind of encoded into us. But it becomes uh, self self-defeating in a sense when uh, you think more employees, more businesses is always going to be the singular solution to your your problem. When we also don't tend to get the data to support or what I would call preponderance of data to support our decision-making. And so we tend to see uh, extrapolate out a single data point into a trend. We look at sales for this month and we multiply that by 12 and that's gonna be our new annual revenue. Or we look at a stock chart and we see it going up and we go, we extrapolate it out. It's like, oh, I'm gonna be a billionaire in like two years. But that's a data point. It's not necessarily a trend. And so it gets us in trouble when you overlay that with our tendency to go after more as the answer. So we have to, that's why I'm such an advocate for having all these principles and frameworks, because to be a business owner, you have to be a problem solver. And the problem with problem solvers is that we often come up with a problem just so we have something to solve. Mm. And I'm incredibly guilty of that. I'd be the first person to raise my hand and say, I do that all the time, you know, Saturdays, Sundays when you want to be present with your family and with your kids, I've got two young kids and uh, you're sitting on the, they want you to color. And you got this gremlin in your head. Who's like, yeah, but there's gotta be a problem out there. I should be solving right now. (laughs) 
and uh, fire off some texts, some emails, and uh, now you're just uh, hiring people, firing people, starting new businesses, all this other stuff, just because you needed that problem to solve. It didn't end up getting you closer to what you really, what you really cared about. So it's complicated. And to me, the first step really is identifying that you're by recognizing from the beginning that you're biased, that you're going to do these things that are actually going to be self-defeating. So then you need a, a process, not to prevent it entirely, because that's not realistic, but to catch yourself. And then after you've caught yourself, recenter yourself or reorient it, reorient toward what is really important to you. And so it's going to be an infinite game. Yeah, the the catching yourself quickly is the trick. <laughs> um, I've been diving into the biases for a long time. Like uh, I remember, oh, months ago, Dicka and and Courtney and I think Joey all jumped on a call and had a really long Zoom call about biases and and mm. broke them down and and explained a few of them. But mm -hmm. uh, that in itself is a, is a deep rabbit hole to go down and just like try and reflect on which ones you're most susceptible to and you know how how to recognize them and catch them that's that's a fun little adventure in itself dan i'm not gonna lie it's a, it's a little tricky <laughs> yeah it it absolutely is and because we're constantly evolving as humans that what you're subject to the most now so for reference point for for, for listeners you can search 10 cognitive biases you can get my book i have them listed in there as well things like all or nothing thinking should statements over generalizations mm -hmm. those are some examples and uh there's an exercise that you can do where you write down your when you're having a thought that that you don't feel like it serves you or you're, maybe you're feeling anxiety in your body just feeling uncomfortable you write it down the exact thought that you're having and then you go to this cognitive distortion sheet and you you match it up to, to the distortion that's the most applicable or a couple of them. And then if you can do that over a period of a few weeks, you're going to recognize a pattern of probably two or three that you do repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And then that helps you to reframe. So mine, when I first started doing this, should statements, I should have done this, should have known better. Uh, I'm a people pleaser. I'm a uh, perfectionist. So so should is a, a big thing for me uh, 10 years ago, but now it's different. So the point I'm trying to make is that you go through that exercise, but it's not a one-time thing. You're like, cool, all right, I fixed that. Something else is going to creep up. And for me, that actually gives me peace. Because I had to recognize that there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you, Jake. There's nothing wrong with you, Dwayne. That this is just part of the human condition. And so we have to acknowledge that and not feel a bunch of shame and guilt about it. Instead, recognize that as part of our existence, we're going to have highs and lows. We're going to think we solved it. And then there's going to be something new, something new that we want, or some new life experience that shapes us in a little bit different way. And now, we have a different distortion that uh, impacts us 
more than should statements. And so that just is, just exists. And we don't want to fight against it. We just recognize it. Like, oh, you know what? Curious about myself. I seem to be really over magnifying things now. I wonder why that is. Mm. I mm. always reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> yep. 100%. That's a mantra that we have in the uh, Certified Certainty Advisor Program, CCA. Reserve the right to change my mind. And when you're a parent, that's you understand that. I don't know if you guys are parents, but you yeah. tell your kids that that they can have candy after dinner and then they didn't eat their food or they're throwing a fit and you're like, no, no candy. I reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> Those things are um, easy to digest. But then we have a lot of belief patterns around I do what I say I'm going to do. And that's a lot of um, a lot of our identities are tied up and I do what I say I'm going to do. But to what end? So to what end? If I said, hey, let's, this is an example that I use in the CCA. I say, guys, uh, tonight, why don't we meet at uh, our favorite bar for drinks at seven? And uh, you know, awesome. So we get there and uh, the bar is on fire. We don't just walk in and sit down and place an order, right? Like the bar is on fire. We just are walking into uh, clear and present danger. Be silly to just walk into this bar that's on fire, sit down and like order our beer. But that's, hey, we said, we. what about uh, we do what we say we're going to do? Well, obviously this case, it's on fire. We're not going to do what we say we're going to do. But how many relationships, how many business decisions, where there's new information, this thing is on fire, not literally, but the proverbial on fire. And we do it anyways, because we're trying to honor the, I do what I say I'm gonna do. Right? So it's the same problem, it just shows up a little bit differently. When it's on fire, it's obvious we don't do it. But when it's not, when it's just more of a uh, proverbial sort of on fire, we feel like we have to proceed. Right. And uh, that sort of sets ourselves up. That that's designing a system that guarantees failure. So I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do unless there's new information that presents itself that's going to be a better path. And then what I owe you is transparency. I'm going to tell you why I can't proceed and what we can do differently. And I'm not going to leave you in a situation where you're worse off. So I'm going to figure out how to make you whole in some sense, shorter, long-term but we're not just going to do something just because we said we're going to do it. So I got a question about <clears throat> as a, you know, I used to own a business and I remember working with a coach and reading traction and you've got the 10 year vision and then the three year plan and then the one year plan and then your quarterly rocks and then your pebbles that lead you to the quarterly rocks and all this planning. And mm -hmm. the thing that was really, um, I guess frustrating about it was, and it's to your point was that I would spend all this time mapping out this big plan. And then like six months later or some point in time later, I would look at the plan and be like, I feel like so much of this is not even relevant anymore because of the evidence that's presented itself up to this point since the time I created it. And it started to feel almost like a waste of time. However, I, I see where 
there's there's business owners that really harp on having kind of long like one year plans or business plans and things to that nature. I'm kind of curious for yourself as a business owner, what's your approach to business planning, knowing that you do have this in your um, in your peripheral of awareness of knowing that, you know, I should always be open to the evidence that that leads me to what the most efficient path forward is. So like, how, how do you approach this when it comes to plan? not even just business planning, life planning or anything? I think it's a really good question. And I think, uh, and I've done exactly the process you've described with the five-year, 10-year goals and reasoning mm-hmm. backwards and setting objectives and key results and all that sort of stuff. And I've done the same things with budgets, right? Budgets and forecasts. To me, that's just another version of planning and goal setting. And you go through all of it and you get to the end. And, and by the time you get through, you're like, almost a lot, a lot of this is no longer relevant anymore. <laughs> but I just made so many big ass assumptions that <laughs> to, to build this cool looking uh, spreadsheet that really it's kind of meaningless other than it like, looks really pretty. And I can yeah. make a show for So what has happened to me this is a version of maximize versus optimize is that when you're running a uh, a business that's venture backed so you got a bunch of, of investors or you're a publicly traded company you have to maximize what's the most most that we can make most amount of clients most amount of money so on and so forth and because you've brought in all this capital you're trying to scale as quickly as possible so you need these uh, clear goals and objectives because the shareholders are going to require them. You got to report back, so on and so forth. But you have the resources to do all of that and scale and have this, the team to support it. A right? big corporation, I mean, there's <laughs> teams that basically just support the goal setting process and the reporting on the, the goals and et cetera. And so it makes sense. It's required as part of a good and a corporate governance structure. For a team of one or a team of two, uh, we don't have the resources. We have to optimize what's the most efficient path forward. And so my my approach is more reasoning backwards towards what is the number one thing that I want and how do I allocate the most amount of resources to that number one thing or a couple of things, Mm -hmm. lock those in and then move on to the next. And so I don't build out an elaborate sort of plan of 20 different things that I'm trying to accomplish over the next 10 years. It's more like, what is the one thing or the two things that I want uh, that have the highest, uh, what I would call relative priority. And I can explain kind of an exercise that can figure out uh, relative priority, but uh, it's basically the weighting. How, How much more important is this relative to the other things? And then I'm going to come up with what are the two or three things that I need to do to support that main thing and uh, allocate, again, resources accordingly. And then as I get new information, new evidence, I'm going to adjust. So that that's my approach. Um, so hopefully that was yeah. beneficial. No, when, that's great. Go ahead. Like, Go ahead you mentioned that uh, you're a family man. How, yeah. how involved do you bring the wife and into this goal setting, like not for business specifically, like, but for, if you're like planning goals and all that, like, or even say your business partner or whatever, how, how much 
uh, cooperation do you need to like set those goals? Yeah, that's a good question. So on the business side, uh, I have, I've had to learn a lot around what's appropriate to share with my spouse. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is, I don't mean like I'm withholding from her, or I'm like hiding money or <laughs> resources or anything like that. You just don't it's want to over the, overwhelm them with the numbers and the information that they don't need. Exactly. Really. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're yeah. two very different humans, mm -hmm. uh, very much the entrepreneurial type. She's not the entrepreneurial type. Totally fine. Right. Early on, I I would want to tell her all my ideas and tell my employees all my ideas. Yeah. And what I would do is create a tremendous amount of anxiety for them. Because I'm like, what does it mean for me? And create some maybe a sense of, of lack of security, lack of safety. So I don't know, you're 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 sharing all this stuff, but I don't know what it means to me. And so I've had to learn kind of the timing of when to bring things on, bring bring my wife up to speed. And it typically is once I actually have a what I would call preponderance of data. Uh, so I have enough data to, to know the trends and uh, I'm going to proceed at which point I'm going to bring her kind of get her up to speed and, and, and get consensus. So what we say in CCA is consensus is the last step in the process. And what we've been taught often is that is that consensus is the first step. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of us don't end up doing extraordinary things because we're spending so much time trying to get everyone else up to speed and, and to agree with us when try to get someone to agree on what you're going to have for dinner tonight. <laughs> Good luck. Sometimes you get it the first time, but a lot of times you go back and forth four or five times. And then eventually you're like, one of you concedes like, yeah, I want a pizza. You want uh Mexican. All right. Like, I give up or it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I like both. Right. But tr so trying to, trying to get two people to agree on dinner is a challenge, but then we want to try and get people to agree on business strategy. Like that's a, a huge undertaking. So one thing is just moving to a line instead of agree. Uh, and that's just a difference in kind of um, lang language. So can you align much different than can you agree the lines like that ah, i guess it's not the way i would do it but i can proceed agree is like this is exactly how i do it huge bar yeah. to overcome mm -hmm. so first thing is kind of uh knowing the timing on the business side uh that's that's key both in terms of your staff and in terms of your significant other in terms of on the family side of things uh, we typically talk about like what is a theme for the year or like one or two things that we want to try to accomplish as a family. So pretty similar to what we do on the business side. Uh, and that is a, a different experience because I'm not the boss. <laughs> so at work, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of have the like, I'm, I'm the boss, but in, in the, the marriage we're, we're equals. And uh, and so some years the focus is more on on uh, the kids. Some years the focus is more on my spouse. Sometimes it's more on me. It really just depends. I think again the importance of coming back to what are the one or one or mm -hmm. two things that we want to do, 
and uh, trying to kind of eliminate the other stuff. Eliminate, hmm. eliminate is a big one. <laughs> eliminate is a big one because you you get into the keeping up with the Joneses type of thing where you're like, well, so-and-so just got the new car and they just got the, they went on this vacation and then, yeah. And this year we're going to try and focus on you know, not acquiring things or we're, we're focusing yeah. on the one trip that we're going on or whatever it may be. And so it's, it's, and we don't always get it right, mm. but it's trying to catch yourself as many times as possible from chasing things that aren't really what you want. I think this is a good segue into talking about the solvable problem because, you know, that's something yeah. that, um, you know, you're, you're looking at what it is that you actually want. And in this case, you're talking about, okay, in this year, what's the theme of the year? This is what we're orienting towards. So um, how do we close that gap? Uh, I would love for you to just kind of break down in your own words, you know, what is the solvable problem and how that, uh, or how can somebody use this as a way to kind of rig the game for them, for themselves and get the things that they want? Yeah. So the backstory in the solvable problem is I presented to a bunch of CFOs years ago and uh, outsource CFOs. So they were all kind of service providers going after small business owners. And I realized everyone was asking me the same question because we'd all commoditized ourselves. We're offering a technical service to clients. They don't really know what it is. And at the end of the end of the day, what they really want is that our service uh, helps them achieve the life or the business that they desired. And the only way we could do that is by actually figuring out what they really wanted. And so that was kind of the genesis of becoming the solvable problem. And I've done a bunch of the vision board type things over the years, and I found them to be similar to goal setting, which is you get a bunch of dopamine from it, and then you, you do a bunch of stuff for a week or two, and then you don't make any more progress on it because you don't actually know what you need to be doing because it's not a solvable, solvable problem. So what I mean by that is when I put the six pack abs on the vision board and the Lambo and the second house and some picture of like awesome parents, because uh, I want to be an awesome parent. It doesn't really tell me what I need to do to achieve that because it's not a solvable pr problem. It's a multivariable equation. It shows me the outcome, but I have a lot of variables that are still undefined. So if you've ever tried to solve X plus Y equals 10, what is X? The answer is infinity. What is Y? The answer is infinity because there's more than one variable that's unknown. Hmm. And that's what we do with the vision board is that because it doesn't tell us how much each thing costs and it doesn't assign a timeline to it. We can, and it doesn't tell us what our current resources are. We can't solve for how much more we actually need to do. And as we've already sort of talked about earlier, is that because we're always thinking, defaulting to more being the solution, is that we just go all in on a bunch of stuff and get burned out or burn through resources, so on and so forth. So what I advocate for is take the goals or the vision board assign a date and a dollar value to them. Look at your current resources. Now that you have all of that, you can solve for how much more you need to make to fund all of these kind of life missions. 
in the in the timeline that you've set. Uh, and so we built an app called the Certainty App. Originally, it was just a Google Sheet that I shared around with folks, and then it kind of evolved into what it is now. It continues to evolve with, with new features and stuff coming out. Um, and the point of that is, it's basically a GPS for your for your for your life because once you've you've kind of put down this this uh, these goals into a solvable problem, is that you can actually track: Am I getting closer or am I getting further away? And uh, turns out that's really important to be able to measure that because you think that you often think, oh, this new marketing initiative I'm doing is really going to solve all my life problems. And if you don't have a way of measuring it, you can end up three years down the road later in the same exact position you were in, but even more burnt out, maybe less resources, maybe more scrutiny and expectations from your employees and spouse and family and etc so you really do need a way to measure are your decisions truly getting you closer to what you want yeah that measuring of whether you're getting closer to your decisions is um i didn't know how important that is on actually being able to make a decision <laughs> you know if you have something that you could refer to and be like okay is, is if i make this decision am i actually getting closer well if you haven't defined that then then you're just kind of throwing darts um it's been over this last year of you know setting up my solvable problem and then and then kind of keeping track and monitoring it and and putting that reference to my decision making has been very impactful <laughs> Yeah, it becomes a gut check for a lot of folks too about how disciplined they actually are. Because yeah. one approach to the solvable problem is to look at what is the return you need on your assets. And so, say you run it through the Certainty app, and it says sixty percent, and you're getting two thousand percent. Do I follow the principles where I take risk off the table? Um, so I talk about in my book: least amount of effort, least amount of risk. So that you have the most amount of options. So if I'm significantly overperforming, I should look to see, can I take risk off the table? Because I'm overperforming. I don't need to get this return uh, to achieve the, the life's mission that I've set out. So I'd rather guarantee the outcome than be in a position where the 2,000% return goes to negative uh, or goes to zero. Right. And so it's a gut check for us on, are we really being honest with our solvable problem? And are we really being disciplined to the principles that we sort of set out or ascribe to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I, it's something that <clears throat> I, I'm working more and more to put into practice of revisiting the solvable problem, because I remember when I first set it up, it was like, it was like, okay, got my solvable problem and here's the gap. But as time kind of went on, I started to, to revisit my own, you know, like, is this something that, is this truly what I want? Or what was my mindset when I was actually developing my solvable problem? Is that the same mindset I have now? And I have found myself, I've revisited the solvable problem multiple times. And uh, I just want, I'd love to hear from you as far as, you know, when it comes to revisiting the solvable problem, what are some things that you should probably keep in mind in that regard? Well, I think it's an infinite game. So what we want today is going to change. So again, we just embrace the fact that it's going to evolve. Timelines are going to shift. 
things are going to be added mm -hmm. to the to a solvable problem most likely and so we just have to recognize that and then kind of ideally set up a, a timeline of when you're going to revisit it so maybe it's once a month once a quarter uh, biannually just sort of decide that put it in your calendar come back to it it's a, a process of re-enrolling yourself and any other stakeholders into it and if you think about uh are you guys sports fans yep yeah so go Raiders. About, uh, what's that? <laughs> I said, go Raiders. <laughs> go Raiders. All right. Um, so if you think about football as an example, there's a season, the season ends, they come back training camp might be almost entirely the same roster. They re-enroll everyone in the culture, right? He went away for a while. We don't do that in life or with our employees or with our spouse because we see each other every day or really, really frequently. We don't have this like start to a season, into a season, we're back to training camp. And so what I'm suggesting is that we need to think about how we're gonna re-enroll ourselves in our solvable problem, but any other stakeholders on a regular basis um, because we're going to get distracted, off, so whatever reason, off off track. So re-enrollment, probably the most important uh, thing to, to keep in mind. And then along the way, and again, you can set up, I like to do this monthly, is uh, looking at what resources can I recover? And it's, when I say resources, I don't just mean money, I mean time, energy, influence, et cetera. But because I'm biasing getting closer to what I want over just thinking more is the solution to everything, is that I'm always looking at uh, where are the excess, where are the things that are kind of a drag friction where I have my foot on the brake or I'm watering the weeds. And uh, how can I just stop doing that? So recover those resources, put them back into my solvable problem. So I do that monthly in our uh, summits we typically we do something called the investor frame quarterly where we have people kind of recommend people formally go through their businesses and investments what can they recover and uh and reallocate so you want to have a process for that would be my my recommendation and the last thing is whenever we have a breakthrough we hit our highest month in revenue or we think we need to scale or we think we we were saying to ourselves we finally made it that's a moment where I take a pause. And again, I look at what can I cut out? Because I know that I'm gonna to wanna to add a lot more because I think I've made it. So I'm like, what can I cut out? Yeah, cool. Yeah. a cool section of your, what you talk about is like rhythms, like knowing your rhythms. So, you know, like when you, when you're in a business rhythm or a personal rhythm, if you acknowledge those and, and know that they're at an end or, you know, or at a beginning, it'd be a good time to like reevaluate or reassess like, okay, I'm going into this business, business rhythm where, how should I set myself up to get through this rhythm or whatever? Yeah. 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 We, I do talk about uh, rhythms kind of in, in, uh, in detail business rhythms. 
Uh, these are decisions that you've made, industry rhythms, those are really things you don't have any control over. And then there's the personal rhythms, which are just the things that you do, your tendencies, mm -hmm. which you do have some, some control over. And trying to map trends in your business, trends in your life to those rhythms. And uh, as a way of really trying to pinpoint what you can actually change. So if I'm really unhappy in uh, March and April and I run a CPA firm, you know what? It's probably because there's tax season and I'm worn out and I can't really change the fact that there's tax deadlines. So I just need to uh, accept that. And rather than spending a bunch of money or trying to solve that problem, I need to acknowledge that it's not a problem I can solve uh, other than exiting that business. So maybe that's something I end up doing, but uh, we spend a lot of time and energy trying to solve problems we can't actually solve when they're industry rhythm related. So it's kind of trying to ferret out what, what I can actually work on and pulling back resources on problems I'm trying to solve that I can't solve or problems that I'm, or new things that I'm doing because I'm trying to be innovative in areas that I don't differentiate. So don't innovate in areas where you don't differentiate. Set up a, a better way. <laughs> Only innovate where you differentiate. Yeah. I love that. Dan, it, this is great, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. We're, we're kind of getting near the end here. I, I want to start landing the plane um, on the interview, but uh, for anybody that's listening, all these things that we're talking about with Dan, you know, if you go and, and, and get a copy of his book, Rigging the Game, it'll, it'll really take you through this in a lot more depth and um, something Dwayne and I, we can speak highly of. We, we've been following a lot of Dan's work now for, I guess, about a year. I guess it's been about a year now so it's uh it's year been, and two it's days a, yeah it's, it's it's an honor to actually have it to have a chance i mean i know we spoke briefly at gray wolf summit but having you on the podcast and really um giving some space to, to really speak with you about this and bring it to the people of the wolfden and guardian academy and give them more insight um has really been enjoyable so um to kind of wrap things up is there any uh, you know for somebody who who wants to uh get in contact with you um is there any specific platform or what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way would be just to go to riggingthegame.com and I've got all the links to my personal Telegram channel, uh, various businesses that I'm involved in, link to the book, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, riggingthegame.com. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to, we're going to link everything in the show notes, make it very accessible for you. If you're, if you're listening and you want to reach out to Dan, get a copy of, of his book. We'll have a link there as well. Um, to, to buy a, buy yourself a copy. And Dan, um, just want to give you a personal congratulations on a wall street journal and uh USA, right. A, a best selling author. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, amazing. So, so, uh, what an accomplishment for an author to be able to have that kind of, um, you know, recognition. That's great. I, I appreciate that. And, uh, I would just tell everyone that, uh, anyone, anyone can do it. I don't have a big audience. It's, I've just started to focus on kind of growing out more of a more of a following. But if you look, I've got a pretty tiny following relative to others that are Wall Street Journal or uh, USA Today bestseller. And it just comes back to kind of the essence of what I talk about in the book, what we talk about in uh, the Certified Certainty Advisor, which is every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. So if you want to be a bestseller, you just figure out the bestseller system and uh how they do the rankings etc and then 
effectively try and design a system around or behavior around that to um, to get the outcome that you want. So it it uh, probably sounds complex, but actually it really just takes a couple of different steps to uh, to get there, and you really don't need a massive following to do it. So as we you know kind of bring this end uh, interview to an end, um, you know you've got the book now. Um, I guess you'll be going into tax season fairly soon, but like, what are the next one to two things that like need to go right for Dan this next year? Like, I know you guys, you and Nick talk about, you know, not about, um, uh, the new year's resolutions, but like, but like, what is the next one to two things over the next little while for Dan? Yeah. So the, the point of getting wall street journal or USA today, bestseller status to me, was to elevate the whole concept of certainty in large part because we have these certified certainty advisor uh, graduates now. Mm-hmm. So they go through our 20 week program, they do do their presentations, they, they graduate. And now they can teach this methodology that we cover in the book and in the, the, the class. And so my objective to uh, singularly to elevate my brand is actually to elevate my students. Wow. So I'm focused on giving, creating as much value as possible to the concept of certainty to elevate the value of the CCA program. So I'm a, I'm a, I don't crave a lot of attention. In fact, um, I was, I was getting a little bit spun out actually the, the week or two <laughs> around the bestseller push because I don't like to do a lot of self-aggrandizing and look at me kind of things, which is how it can feel when you're putting a lot of asks out there into the world. But it's a mission, again, to elevate the thinking and process around certainty to elevate our our graduates. So I want to keep the the CCA program full, but which we, we only do three cohorts a year, 20 students per cohort. So it's it's a pretty small, you know, tight knit group of folks, but I want them to have as much value as possible. And so the second piece to that, so I'm pushing hard uh, with the bestseller status and placements and articles and podcasts and all that sort of stuff. But then the second piece is uh, continuing the work on the certainty app because really what I have been building is something called a hybrid platform. And this comes from a book uh, called The Business of Platforms. And so I'm trying to create certainty as a platform that uh, allows for information sharing. So sharing uh, principles and concepts around certainty, but then also transactions, which means you can hire other people who are qualified, other resources, who all understand this principle and the center of all of that is the certainty app. So there's a lot more work that I need to do to kind of solidify that technology to kind of anchor this, this ultimate platform. Uh, that's, that's very cool. Um, I know looking at our guest list that we already have a few CCA members uh, dropping yeah. by to share some knowledge. So this language and these principles and all the stuff that you teach um our listeners are going to get kind of our version and our deep dive and diffusion of it. So, um, you know, if we can help you in any way, just let us know because it's, 
what you've taught has helped us. So yes, we're, we're on board and, and we'll share where we can. Awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys for, for having me on and for the uh, awesome questions. So thank you. Yep. It's been Thanks, very Dan. good. Thanks. Woo!